fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody, and this is a bonus episode of the Imperial News Podcast. This week on the podcast, it was a bit hard to be as thorough as we like to be on a specific issue, but also to stay within the comfortable parameters of the 40 to 60 minute podcast length that we set for ourselves. So instead, I saved a particularly bad clip for the Twitch stream, which I've started, and it happens every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I figured this would make a nice bonus episode because there was no corresponding video clip that we covered on the Twitch stream, but also because it covers content we would normally go over uh, on the weekly podcast. The voices in the chat with me are all patrons who've donated at the $10 or above level, so if you are interested in joining the chat, please consider becoming a patron. Right now, we're at the level of just covering our costs, but we would love to buy some new audio equipment to make the show sound crisp and lovely. So if you like what we do, please consider donating at, pa- at patreon.com slash imperialnews. Also, if you like watching these streams, I started posting them on the Imperial News YouTube channel. Please consider subscribing to that channel, and I will likely be posting some additional content there in the future. It might be hard to search for us, but you can find the link to our channel through our social media links in the show description. I hope you enjoy this bonus episode, and if you think it will be a good time, join us next Friday. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Imperial News Friday stream. For the last two weeks, we've been doing this, and we've usually been doing YouTube videos. We are not doing a YouTube video today, and there's a reason for that. So we have a podcast which is probably where most of you have come from. And this week on the podcast, we've been sort of like over. There was a segment, we mostly, so if you could see the title of this audio clip, it says Catherine McKenna's Indonesia Adventure. And so most of the episode, we spent talking about what Ezra talks about at the first half of this clip. And then in the second half, which we're going to cover, he has this interaction with someone named Joel Pollack, who's an editor for Breitbart News. And it's a really racist conversation. It's really bad. And when Caitlin and I on the podcast were talking about it, it just went way too long. And so we like to keep the episodes within 40 minutes to an hour. And it was getting closer to the two hour mark. So so what I did was I removed that and just said that I'll, I will reserve it for this. And I think what I'm going to do is release this live stream as a bonus episode on the podcast stream also telling people that hey we do this every friday come watch us kind of thing as well so this will be released on the podcast feed but we're going to get into this (laughs) it's it's really bad but before we do that we'll just introduce ourselves so i am jody one of the hosts of imperial news and uh we'll start with uh why don't you say hello elron so people know what your voice sounds like Hello, I'm Elrond. I pay $10 for this, so you don't have to. <laughs> and Ken? Hi, I'm Ken. Uh, I pay $20 uh, so I can be better than Elrond. <laughs> and uh, and your, your Patreon level is going to be very relevant today, and we'll get to it when it happens. <laughs> oh, dear. And uh, Vienno. Hello. <laughs> 
I pay some amount of money, but I also know Jody, so true. I guess I'm here. Well, everyone knows me now, <laughs> but you, you personally, we've been in each other's presence. I guess we've uh, ceremonially consumed hot peppers as well. So yeah, one of that, Elrond and Ken. <laughs> That's fair. I've yeah, never you... once consumed a hot pepper with uh, Jody and Roger. You win. Now, before we get into the clip, and we might be joined by other people later, and they can feel free to jump in, and then we'll introduce them awkwardly in the middle. <laughs> but we're going to... So I, I sort of want to say something before we get into this video. And that's because there's there's an interesting move going on here. And so I, I'm curious to see what the three of you think about this idea. But I find like every ideology sort of like has a history now to some extent, including capitalism, communism, but also fascism. And so because they have these histories, there's many ways that people can react to those histories and especially react to their more like problematic elements. So, you know, often what comes up in like left-wing circles or people who self-identify as Marxists or communisms is questions about like, how are you going to react to like Stalinism or the things that happened in Soviet Russia or communist China and stuff like this, right? And there's many ways of sort of like grappling with this. And I kind of like, this is a bit of an oversimplification, but I think there's sort of like three ways of reacting to this. One is like denial. The other is embracing it. And the other is sort of accept and rebut. And so what I mean by these three is denying would be like, they're not real. So like if you were a left winger, it would be like, Stalin wasn't really communist. It wasn't really left wing or you deny that the things ever even happened. Right. The other thing you could do is embrace it and just be like, no, Stalin did what he, what he did, but he was right. 100%. And then the other thing you could do is sort of like an accept, but rebut. So you might say something like, yeah, uh, those things actually did happen, but here's why I don't think it, uh, says anything negative about like current left-wing or communist politics, something like that. Now, of course, this is an oversimplification. And I'm not saying that there's a, like, I'm not putting any judgments on here in case there's a, a people who, who uh, lean communist or, or, or are Stalinists in the, the chat here. But I think the interesting thing with fascism is I feel like their only option in the Western context is the denial stage. And I think there's like two reasons for this. The main one is that part of what fascism is, is this inherent uh, need to think of your culture as being superior and having this like cultural identity. And the thing with our culture in both Canada and America is we tend to valorize and glorify uh, the history of the, the world wars and in particular our, our victories in World War II. And so therefore the enemy was fascism and it's this like weird irony that like the fascists have like incorporated this image of like american exceptionalism and fighting the fascists as part of their identity and yet they are fascists <laughs> so they it has to sit like uncomfortable with them and then like the other flip side of this is that you can't like if you're uh someone who say actually does embrace it so so you embrace nazism say you go you're full on out there fascist 
you can't explicitly like announce that because of how negative Nazism has become in our culture. It is a kind of like cultural signifier. So like we have years of the history channel, <laughs> like all these things telling you Nazi bad, Nazi bad, Nazi bad, that even the people who are like really out there, fascists, realize that they have to quasi deny it as like a public face because you don't want to scare away the normies, right? You want to like lead them in by like denying, not shattering the cultural illusion while also like getting them to come in kind of thing. They talk about it in terms of hiding their power level. I think you've heard of this before where they're like, we're going to be out Nazis, but we're going to hide hide it from all the normies to try to convert them to become more like us. Don't ruin Dragon Ball Z for yeah. my childhood. So, <laughs> I didn't do it. The, these these are things that the Nazi, you know, <laughs> the fascists themselves have, have sort of come up with. So I frame it this way because we're going to get into this clip, which is them sort of like ruminating on the idea uh, of being called a Nazi and to what extent that applies to them and whatnot. And then they're going to pontificate on Nazism generally and other uh, racial issues. And it's not great. But I wanted, like, I wanted to have this conversation up front because, of course, there's going to be like outright denials of fascism in this clip. And you're going to hear it. <laughs> but like, that's part of the strategy here. But like, I don't even think necessarily that they would self-identify as fascists. But they are fascist. And you're going to get that through this clip. Like, the, the, the subtleties are there, right? They're, they're not even really subtle. <laughs> if you're, but maybe they just don't seem subtle to me because I, I watch this shit a lot. So I'm actually curious going forward to see whether you think they're subtle or not. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, does that sort of framework make sense? Like, I feel like that's the way fascists have to present themselves in the, in the Western context, where they have to kind of, like, deny their fascism uh, and also deny that. So the other move you get is, like, the Dinesh, Dinesh D'Souza move, which is to say that, like, well, the fascists are actually left wing. And uh, we're going to get some of that today, too. But. <laughs> Does that make sense? I, I, I had thought about this, and so I was curious to see what other people think. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. I, I had some thoughts on, on your, your earlier stuff, um, but uh, I, I, they, can, they, can be, they can wait. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I, I like where you're going with this. Yeah. Now before... Man, well, that's good to know. So I'm not uh, completely insane. <laughs> now just one second before we jump right into it i was gonna make someone a mod and i'm gonna do that now before i forget later and i i do it really slowly because i'm a noob to this whole twitch thing so did it work yes look at that beautiful all right everyone say hi to nick in the chat who's the new moderator of this twitch stream <laughs> so here well, we let's are. give a shout out to mod nick <laughs> Oh, Elrond over here with the echo effect. I said hi to Nick in the chat. In the chat. Oh, I, th I thought we were doing it. My bad. <laughs> uh, you, you did it the only way we really should, which is using that effect to its full potential. So I have, I have key points where we're going to stop it. And uh, here we go. I hope, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. Also, let me know if the audio is fine. Welcome back. Well, it's about a month to the U.S. election. Extremely exciting. I tell you, there's more news jammed into a day than 
into a month, into a year in the past. It's hard to believe that it was just a week ago that Trump and Biden were squaring off in the presidential debate. Since then, Donald Trump has been diagnosed with COVID, gone to the hospital, come back, and it's amazing. Joe Biden has done town halls with sympathetic journalists, and he's brought out the age-old slur that Donald Trump is a Nazi sympathizer. It's laughable. In fact, as you may know, his daughter Ivanka converted to Judaism, married another Jew named Jared Kushner. Their family is Jewish. The kids call him Zadie, which is the Yiddish word for grandpa. <laughs> Nazi is a slur now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascist sympathizer is a slur. That's yeah, it's not one. even Nazi. Yeah. It's the mere act of sympathizing that is the, the slur. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know that Joe Biden said this. I guess I could have looked it up, but whatever. But there's there's also this thing that I find very interesting, which is this idea that just because you have Jewish family members or something like or or like I have I have a Jewish friend. Yeah, <laughs> Therefore, it's that old dodge. It's that old dodge. And the thing that like I w- I want to say here, like. There's some interesting thing that I learned recently, which I think applies to this, which is that there was a family physician who worked on the Hitler family that Hitler basically saved from the Holocaust, basically made sure that they their family wasn't uh, ghettoized, and then eventually helped them out of the country. And this person lived because of it. And... I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, that doesn't make Hitler any less a terrible anti-Semite who was responsible for the death of millions of Jews, right? But it's the fact of like, even Hitler, who's like the quintessential anti-Semite. Had might his... even say the quintessential Nazi. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> he played this game about like picking and choosing, right? And like the similar thing with Trump... Yes, okay. I mean, I'm not even going to comment about I mean, like, I don't know whether this... <laughs> whether he loves it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Trump has a psyche that I cannot relate to. <laughs> the but, best psyche. People keep telling me. But even if we're to say, like, yes, 100% loves his Jewish son-in-law and loves his Jewish grandkids and all that fun stuff. He himself has said things that were like, at least vaguely anti-Semitic, like going in front of, I think it was one of the uh, Israeli groups. I can't remember the exact one. It might've been APAC, but it could have been any other. And was basically like, uh, like I have lawyers that are Jewish, (laughs) you know, like feeding into these kind of tropes or like, and doctors who are Jewish and, uh, feeding yeah. into these kind of tropes about Jewishness that a lot of anti-Semites use as well. And that doesn't yeah, mean... He said, yeah. I was just going to say, I, he said same thing. Like I remember it might have been the same thing that you're mentioning, but he said something like that about like his accountant or something like that. It's similar trope nonsense. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, like of course, like heart of hearts, we're never going to know like to what extent Trump like, what does Trump really feel towards Jewish people? But there's this sense in which it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you can have 
Jewish friends and still be a complete anti-Semite. Like the mere fact, or even having a Jewish son-in-law doesn't somehow cure you of your anti-Semitism. It also kind of totally misses that it's a structural thing rather than a like individualist ideology. Like it's, you know, I'm sure that there were probably lots of people who weren't actively anti-Semitic who were part of the Nazi party, but they also stood back and did nothing as liquidation and destruction and genocide happened. And that's kind of like where that sort of yeah you know how nazism comes about is structurally and structural racism and structural anti-semitism rather than you know oh one guy has a relative who is jewish or whatever like it's not because you cause i don't know it yeah. always misses that i mean because there is something to say about personal anti-semite i mean like he could be in his heart of hearts, like a just a raging anti-Semite or something like this, right? He could be, I don't know. But like, it, as you're getting at it, like it almost doesn't matter because like what I was saying, like his performance at APAC or if it was APAC or whatever the other thing that he was attending, there's, he's participating within a structural anti-Semitism by some of the things that he has said, right? That it almost doesn't, it doesn't matter whether he's personally anti-semitic or not and it doesn't matter whether he has jewish family members because he's participating in it rather than rejecting this and system. like to be clear i do 100 percent think that he's yeah. an anti-semite <laughs> yeah, i don't think that part super deniable yeah. it's just yeah. i was even just gonna say like weren't. yeah I, I was just gonna say like i i got no problem with with kids in cages or raging anti-Semitism, but these tax cuts are just so good. <laughs> That's basically what it boils down to with a lot of this stuff. Well, there, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff. I mean, like, part of it is, like, I mean, I, I just don't, I, I want to at least try to have some semblance of, like, what I can say. And, like, at some point, like, pragmatically, it's not going to matter. For the same reasons of him, whether he personally feels it or not, he's still participating in it. So it's like, fuck him either way. <laughs> yeah. But but you are right that like, there, there is enough evidence to go, <laughs> you know, I'll try to keep some, some uh, journalistic neutrality a little bit. But here we go. I mean, there's those stories of him reading every night from Mein Kampf that he always kept next to his bedside table, like, and that was from one of his ex-wives. Like, <laughs> we do have a lot of pretty clear evidence. Yeah. Sorry. What, what, one more time? What did my president do? I'm sorry? What? Oh, you didn't know this? No. No. They don't, <laughs> oh, yeah. He kept, they, they don't teach us he, this as Americans now. It's, it's banned from yeah. the Trump education. <laughs> it, was a, it was Ivana, right? His first wife, I think, that came out and said this. Was it not? Or was it Mabel's, the second wife? I can't remember, but this did come out. I do remember this. And I don't know. I think he also didn't deny it. He didn't like affirm it, but he gave a kind of like, I read, I'm a reader, I'm a reader. I read the best books. <laughs> the best books. My, the best book, singular. But we'll move on. We'll move on. Is that, but Trump has done what I personally thought was impossible, namely bringing peace to large swaths of the Middle East. Forget about small symbolic things like moving the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, but actually brokering peace. 
we're not going to peace in the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't want. I just wanted to to pause this because, like, we go into plenty of detail on this on on our show. This is like a talking point that he's on about that because of these peace agreements with uh, uh, the UAE and Bahrain. That somehow this is like Trump doing some like super. Uh, what's his book called? Art of the Deal bullshit. <laughs> he's sealing the deal on Middle East peace when like a lot of these agreements that have come forward have been like in the work for years and also they don't really sort of like address the question of peace within the the conflicting parties like it's not like bahrain and israel were in conflict all that much <laughs> so it's he, he over exaggerates the, the extent to which they matter but we're gonna skip past that i just thought i would pause and acknowledge that this is a talking point that ezra loves to to go on and on is he the best president ever for the Jews? That's something that's not just of interest to Jews, it's of interest to anyone who wants an election where you don't throw the word Nazi at someone just because they're a conservative. Joining us now via Skype is our friend Joel Pollack. Joel, great to see you again. Good to see you too. Joel, I, I think um, there are Jews who are interested in the subject. There are Zionist Christians who are interested in Israel and being pro-Israel. And there's conservatives who aren't motivated by religion, who just support uh, the West's ally in the region. I think of how I think of Taiwan. I have no ethnic or religious tie to it. I just know it's the good guy. But <laughs> larger than the case of Israel itself, I'm just sick of the left and the media and the professional hate finders using the word Nazi to demonize anyone on the right. What do you think? So before we get to hear what uh, Joel thinks, I do... <laughs> The one, the one thing that I wanted to hit on there is that uh, the thing about Taiwan, where there's almost like no substance to it. He's just, <laughs> it's just like, I've been told that Taiwan are the good people, so I just go with it. <laughs> yeah, I read a tweet, and now I know. Yeah. Well, I heard the U.S. installed a military dictatorship for 30 years there. They must be the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> I... I I just like like love when he throws something in there. But there you can already start to see here too as well this sort of like blending between pro-Jewishness and pro-Israel, uh, which the two I mean like even if you are uh I mean like I, I not that we have to get into it here. I mean like obviously our stated position on the podcast is we side with the the Palestinian struggle. But that being said, you don't have to be a uh, a Jew and necessarily support Israel. In fact, there there isn't any, uh, or there is plenty of Jews who don't support Israel in many ways. But you can already see in Ezra's mind, he likes to merge those two ideas, where you are a Jew only and if you support Israel, because the two are are linked in some capacity. Which is well, and then immediately links it to. Christian Zionism as well, which is a fundamentally like, oh, well, we want the Jews out of our country. So <laughs> yeah. once they are all back in Israel, then the rapture comes and blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I mean, and there's some still... weakened versions of that that are still kind of bad because you still, in your version of how the world is supposed to turn out, most of the Jews die anyways, uh, whether you want to send them all back or not. 
but I, I I tend to agree with you. There are a lot more than you would want that actually want to send them back. But of course, like it's one of these things where these are the people who Ezra is going to ally with, and yet pretend that his side is not uh, fascist or anti-Semitic. We'll we'll get to hear what Joel has to say. Well, it's shorthand for bad person. So I don't know that it necessarily convinces anyone who doesn't already dislike Donald Trump, but it is effective in making it harder to support him publicly, especially because so much of the media agree with what the left is telling the public. They are, in fact, the vehicle and the authors, in many cases, of, of many of these negative messages. So the word <laughs> Nazi has been cheapened to the point where even Jewish organizations no longer complain when someone misuses an analogy to the Holocaust. I just, before we break down some of the bullshit there, we do have a Patreon tier, which is Joel Pollock's interrupting cell phone. And that was the first moment of interruption. And this happens every single time Joel Pollock is on his goddamn show. And I just find it so rude. And you're going to hear more because this is like the first time, like the audience who usually tunes into my podcast doesn't hear a full clip like this. So it's like, you're going to hear like a lot of these bing, bing throughout. And I just think that's so fucking rude that Joel Pollock does that. Not, <laughs> not that I really care because at the yeah. end of the day, he's still a piece of shit. But it's that still one sounded a less that one sounded wasn't as loud as the ones I've heard in the clips before. But maybe 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 he's gradually graduating <laughs> to not having it. Yes, there are sometimes they like, uh, especially when I'm I'm listening to the show, and then I was like, "Bing!" and it just like scares the shit out of me and hurts. Uh, <laughs> but I did want to say, so at the end there, when he gets to sort of the punchline, when he's talking about like, "Oh, we're we're everyone's just cheapening." the word Nazi by throwing it around everywhere. And then he goes, he, he sort of like talks about why are th these other Jewish organizations that fight hate, why they're not going after these people who call Trump a Nazi or Nazi sympathizer for misusing an analogy to the Holocaust. And I'm like, is calling someone a Nazi misusing like, misusing an analogy to the Holocaust automatically? Like, what are your thoughts? Because <laughs> I, I lean on the side of no, it's not necessarily. Because I think part of what like the analogy could be is like an analogy to fascism, which not every fascist group actively participated in the Jewish Holocaust, right? I think that like Nazi and Nazism stands in for fascism in a lot of ways, right? I think it's something. It's the it's the it's the easy one that that people associate with it. So I don't think it's a misuse just because it's it's. Uh, I can't think of the proper terminology, but it's it's you say it. That's what people associate it with, and they're not necessarily wrong. Well, I think there's some sort of like semblance in what he's saying. So I guess like put it this way: like if I. I could see what they're saying when I call some, or if anyone calls anyone a Nazi, I think a lot of people jump to the conclusion that you're, you're calling someone, someone who participated in the Holocaust or something like this. Right. Or 
in my mind, like you could be saying that you're engaging in similar behaviors as the people who engaged in the Holocaust. And that doesn't mean, right? Like, so that doesn't have to mean that you're necessarily going to be attacking Jewish people as a anti-Semitic fascist, right? You could be an Islamophobic fascist, which I think is what better depicts Ezra, right? And in that sense, like calling them a Nazi is an analogy not to the Holocaust, but to the types of like behaviors that like underlie what might lead someone to committing the Holocaust, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And so there's this weird thing that they're trying to do here, and they're going to go into it a bit uh, as this progresses a little bit which is like trying to say that these organizations like the Anti-Defamation League are not appropriately going after this because it's uh, misusing an analogy to the Holocaust. Like really like just calling people willy-nilly a Nazi somehow does this disservice to remembering the Holocaust or something like this. And like, I just don't see that to be the case, but I don't know if I'm just missing something. (laughs) (laughs) If no one has any input, we will we will move on. When Joe Biden compared Donald Trump to Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister who was Hitler's right-hand man and chief anti-Semite, nobody complained. The Anti-Defamation League offered a weak statement several days later, but they didn't mention Biden by name. In contrast, when Donald Trump was asked, to denounce white supremacists at the first presidential debate, and he did so. They said he didn't do so strongly enough, and they circulated a petition to get Jewish organizations to oppose Donald Trump. Now, they watered it down significantly after we blew the lid off it, when we got a leak from someone who was given the the petition. And they had to water it down. They removed the name Trump from the petition, but they retained the substance. There is a real kind of self-destruction going on among Jewish institutions that have been unwilling to stand up against this sort of desecration of the Holocaust because so many of them are owned essentially by the Democratic Party that they understand the task for them is not to protect the community. The task for them is to try to push for a change in administration without risking their tax-exempt status as a political organization. (laughs) <laughs> i huh? wait what <laughs> brilliant yeah absolutely they're all, brilliant they're all democratic well for one it's, it's there's this idea of like that like that calling some someone a nazi sympathizer is somehow like tarnishing the holocaust and then therefore these like anti-hate groups need to call that out when it's like, no, not at all. If anything, like the reason why you call someone a Nazi is to highlight like this is the type of behavior that should worry you because it leads to something like the Holocaust, right? So if well, anything... I love sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. Well, I love the I love the comparison, right? Uh, pointing out that someone has the same behavior as a Nazi sympathizer uh, on this clip is apparently worse than not denouncing violent white supremacist groups. It's it's amazing. I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> you you besmirched the Holocaust by pointing out someone's bigotry akin to Nazis? Like, what? You yeah. can't you can't say that someone uh, is is you know a Nazi sympathizer. That's terrible. Yeah. But why on earth would we denounce the Proud Boys? What are you talking about? They're just they're just they're just good guys, just little good boys. Yeah, the, the, 
There's a couple of things I had actually, Jody, from, from what you said earlier towards the end of, of the last little thing before we listen to the clip where um, we talked to, like, they, they kind of go, get into this little debate and they're talking about, like, um, how uh, accusing someone of being a Nazi sympathizer or um, calling someone a Nazi does some kind of disservice to the Holocaust, whereas I'm of a mind that being... Uh, demonstrating behaviors similar to a Nazi sympathizer or a white supremacist, that's more of a disservice <laughs> to the Holocaust than anything, I would think. Um, being a Nazi other... is worse than being called a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was, that's just my personal one. And the other thing is like uh, the, the, the denouncing thing, because we've been ever since that first debate where he supposedly strongly denounced white supremacy by saying when he was asked to saying sure sure but what about antifa that's not exactly a a, a, a ringing endorsement or rather a ringing uh uh he didn't strongly denounce anything and that's what he's been doing for basically his entire presidency so i mean like it's it's you know there's strong people on both or there's good people on both sides it's 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 been a hallmark of his presidency to kind of downplay um, the role of people he sees as his supporters and uh, demonize the people who are striving against them. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty rich, this whole thing. I think, too, I mean, this is, this is why I, I, it's important to cover this because it shows that, like, this was already a week and a half after the debate took place and they're still talking about this because they know that they have to continue to deny it as a part of their identity because they, they are fascists and they, <laughs> so they need to play the game. Right. Which is why I had that like monologue at the beginning of this, uh, because it's any, like if someone were to call me a Nazi, it wouldn't bug me to the point where like, I still feel like I have to distance it, distance myself from it. Like a week later, I would just laugh. Like when Dinesh D'Souza does his, the lefts are the real Nazi. I just laugh at that. Cause it's really stupid. Uh, there's no, it's so lacking substance. You don't even have to address it where this is like Ezra's third show on the friggin' topic because he knows like he has to address it. He has to keep trying to distance himself from it. Cause he is yeah, it. When <laughs> Yeah, when when they whenever someone like that, like a D'Souza or whatever, says the left is the real Nazi or they're the real Nazis or Antifa is the real Nazis, that's textbook projection. It it's, it's reminds me of the uh, oh, you guys are socialists and the Nazis were national socialists, so you're just oh, like yeah. Nazis. Like, wait, what? Um, who did the <laughs> Nazis went up and kill first again? Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, not to not to spoil it, but we're gonna get a bit of that in this. <laughs> But I I do want to say so this was uh, oh no do you want to do you want to say hello to the uh, to the world and, I guess, and yeah okay <laughs> and what you want to go by I don't want to I don't want to give anything uh, away uh, Nick's all right all right we have Nick also a patron in the chat two Nicks two... <laughs> double Nick well the other Nick is just a mod they're they're not a a patron <laughs> we still love yeah, we still love you Nick. <laughs> Keep modding. Keep making sure. I mean, I, I told I Love told you more of the ten dollar donation. I <laughs> <laughs> told uh, Nick to keep an eye out for any Nazis in the chat. Although I don't think we're going to have a problem with that uh, yet, until uh, Ezra and Clan realize what I'm doing. <laughs> but we'll move on. 
I find it very frustrating, and I see it in Canada, too, to a lesser extent. I mean, the ADL, which stands for the Anti-Defamation League, we have sort of a branch of that in Canada, but it's more independent. The ADL is actually run by a former senior Obama aide. So I don't think they're even pretending to be nonpartisan. Up here in Canada... <laughs> part, wow. part of me is like, there's, there's a real obvious response to this, right? Which is like, if you're against fascists, are you likely going to have a right of center person like running your organization or like further to the right, you know, cause let's be honest, uh, Obama is probably center, center, right. Uh, in right. more most common parts of the political spectrum. Yeah. But uh, you're not uh, <laughs> like, why would a out fascist be on the ADL? Like that just wouldn't make sense. Or even Deep a tea cover? party. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta hear both sides, Joe. You understand. <laughs> it's the long con. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Anyway, it's more about the eighty. And I will say too that this is a sh- a thing that Ezra has done throughout his career. So, and I'm going to be getting back on this, but we were releasing additional content there for a while until the pandemic hit where we were covering his book, Shakedown. And one of the episodes that I released, which was about uh, Nazis, because there was a whole chapter where all he did was talk about Nazis. He just didn't call them Nazis. So these are like people who legitimately identify as neo-Nazi, where he's just being like, they're just being attacked for their poor free speech. Meanwhile, the whole time he doesn't tell his readership that they were in fact self-identifying Nazis. Uh, (laughs) Whoopsie. Right. And in that chapter, he has a whole thing where he tries to argue that we don't we don't need the ADL anymore. We don't need these groups anymore because anti-Semitism is gone. It's no longer a thing anymore. You don't have to worry about it anymore. White supremacy, not a thing anymore. Racism, not a problem. So just get rid of all these groups that are fighting uh, racism. And so this is a a similar thing. And he's going to probably going to get into it more detail in a, a few more seconds. But it's this move of just like we don't need any of these groups anymore. Uh, they just they just make up things to to create revenue streams. It's all just a plot to get money of some kind to make people afraid of something that's not really there. Canada. What a decade ago, I was actually on the board of our version of APAC. It was called uh, the Canada Israel Committee, and it morphed into other things. And there was at least an attempt to have people of the conservative and the liberal and even other stripes on it just to avoid the group think and in the in the in the knowledge that you know there are changes in party and uh the opposition today may be in government next time and it's a good idea to have all parties sympathetic to israel and fighting against anti-semitism i find it notice i just wanted to pause there again just to make the connection that like he really does in his mind link jewishness with Israeliness. Well, he's also talking about the ADL, which is a fundamentally Zionist organization. So like, like, and that's been the only anti-hate group that he's openly named. So to me, that's kind of like also sus, but also like also ties that connection to fighting anti-Semitism and Zionism as like inherently linked because those, that is the only possible 
even left-wing anti-hate organization he can name is one that is <laughs> dedicated to pre protecting the like american yeah. view of israel no uh that's right and it's i mean and I, that's probably why he has in his own way like more connections with them uh because he wouldn't get involved even on the periphery with other groups that weren't doing that right and that's that's not to take away like i also want to say uh that some of these groups do do uh good work in some capacity uh in terms of fighting hate but i, I do agree with with vienna that uh they are a bit too zionist for my liking <laughs> i just wanted to comment uh I really like the usage of sus here, Vienna. I agree, as we create sus. <laughs> we should vote him out. Definitely saw him then. Yeah. <laughs> Among Us reference for anyone who doesn't get that. What's the Was the tap? Did you guys notice that tapping or rumbling on that recording? Is that Joel Pollock like responding to a text message <laughs> on his phone? Because that's, that's what I got from that. <laughs> there was there was definite like rummaging around but i i don't have a video of this so i don't know uh i don't know what was happening whether it was on ezra's okay. end or or pollock's well I, I see a big spike in the waveform so i know we got a nice little interrupt beat coming <laughs> or maybe that's already happened i don't know we'll find out so uh here we go odd that so much of the official jewish establishment or at least the so-called anti anti-semitic establishment is on one side you'd think they would want to have friends in all parties and make this an issue about which there is no partisan disagreement. Was that, what what they need is more anti-Semites on there. <laughs> what, 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 why would they not want fascists and Nazis <laughs> to be their allies against fascists and Nazis? It's weird. Why don't the sheep want representatives from the wolves then? Why don't they want that? Yeah. See what they're they're not understanding, Jody, is that their their own argument of like the left being the real fascists, and if the left are on this organization, then they do have fascists on there. They 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 don't seem to understand the circular logic. Yeah, it's it's just such a stupid stupid argument. I mean, because like again, this gets down to the like, I guess personal systemic uh, breakdown where he's like, oh, you could have totally someone who's super just pro-Jew, right? Just super pro-Jew such that they would want to be a part of a group that's fighting hate. But like there's, there's could be people who like really like Jewish people, but then is a super hardcore Islamophobe racist like Ezra. <laughs> Cause I want to say like Ezra's Jewish. So of course, like I, like he even, even he participates in the sort of like systemic aspects of anti-Semitism that we've discussed. And like, I think it comes out in this clip and also in his book that I just brought up where it's like, if you're not even going to refer to Nazis as Nazis, then you're covering for them. Right. Uh, and so he's, he's participating in this act, but like at the same time, he is Jewish. Right. <laughs> so he's probably not going to want to go, go along with the execution of the Jews, but at the same time, like, He's pretty evil when it comes to Muslims, you know. Yep. And we don't get into Muslims necessarily in this clip, so people just have to take my word for it, having listened to a show for over a year. <laughs> you poor man. Yeah. 
So it's important to understand that the money in politics right now is largely on the left. The reason so much of what is happening with... Did you hear that? The money... The money in politics is on the left. Let's hear this. Partisan disagreement. So it's important to understand that the money in politics right now is largely on the left. <laughs> okay. I need but, a moment, please. Yeah. <laughs> I would like some, please. <laughs> there's, there's grassroots uh, right-wing movement, guys. I want <laughs> yeah, wanna... uh, well, the, the, the problem is that the, the, the George Soros checks are all stuck in the mailing system. So that's that's why, why the money is all on the left. It's just not reached anybody yet. It's, it's all jammed in the mailing system. It's all at like this one depot. It's all just jammed <laughs> right up. Yeah. And I will say you're already sort of hitting on it, but where do you... what? If you were to name one thing where this money is coming from, where do you think Ezra's going to go with it? Soros. Soros. Soros, indeed. (laughs) And I will say, as we go through this, that's all they talk about, which is, like, ironic. And, like, they'll they'll self-referent, like, they'll get the self-referential nature of what they're doing because, like, focusing on a Jew as the single solitary influence of all leftist politics and funding and, like, throwing money and everything... Seems a little anti-Semitic. <laughs> like, let's also like take a moment too. It's like there's only they only ever mention one person, one millionaire, billionaire, whatever. And meanwhile, anyone with any sort of like knowledge on like how right-wing politics gets funded, you could name like a more than a handful without breathing in. Well, they're gonna. I think in the next clip, or at least when Ezra gets to it, he's gonna name two right-wingers. So we're gonna get the names of two right-wingers who are funding a bunch of shit and only one left-winger who happens to be George Soros. (gasps) But uh, we'll uh, we'll listen to see where this goes. The reason so much of what is happening, which seems unsustainable if it were to support itself from its own fundraising, uh, continues to occur is because there are millions and millions of dollars pouring in to the budgets of far left-wing organizations pouring into the coffers of far left-wing candidates who would have no chance in an ordinary time. The money is on the left, and these organizations go where the money goes. Not, and I'm, let me just say this as a Jew, not because they're Jewish organizations, because all organizations are doing the same thing. So you're already realizing... <laughs> Sorry, go Name on. a single organization, please. They will in a second, uh, and we can discuss the truth or veracity of that as well, but... There's also like they're realizing as well that as they're going along with this, that they're they're already heading into anti-Semitic trope territory, such that they have to already start self-correcting. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's breakneck speed too. It's like old school stuff. I just have whiplash from that. Yeah, well, we'll keep listening because they are going to start naming some organizations, and we'll see uh, see what you you think. And it is part of what might be called the racism industry. The, that's another aspect of this, where organizations like the ADL have to hype the dangers of white supremacy so they can cough up uh, or, or get donors to cough up the money to keep these organizations going in an age where actually the need for an ADL is less than it's ever been before. Jews are widely accepted in society. Jews are very prominent within the president's own family, even though he's very out out about his Christianity. 
this is an era where Jews have never enjoyed wider acceptance within American society. This is the and same so narrative the in the shake ADL. American society is also more tolerant in general toward all minorities, blacks, immigrants. Like there's no racism. Have you. So the ADL has to manufacture this crisis to some extent. That's why when there were 200 hoax bomb threats back in 2017, the ADL still included the hoaxes in their annual statistics of anti-Semitic attacks, even though they were fake. And the ADL uses those annual reports to go to donors and members of the public asking for money. And other organizations work the same way, not just in the Jewish community, the black community, particularly also uh, Catholic community. The Southern Poverty Law Center works the same way. There's an interest financially in hyping the danger of these threats. And so he, he offered one example of hyping threats, and it was these over 2,000 bomb threats in 2017. Does this, I, I had never heard of this, so I'm curious, does this ring a bell to anyone here? Not me, no. So apparently this is true. There were 2,000 bomb threats in 2017. The two people had since been arrested. One of them was a journalist for The Intercept, which I thought was weird. I didn't look more into it, but this journalist was mad at someone he was dating and therefore sent a death threat to like, I think it was like a couple uh, synagogues, or not a death threat, a bomb threat to a couple synagogues and then was trying to blame it on his ex that he was having a falling out with and was charged or fined or, or, or arrested to some capacity. So that was like the one case. The rest of like the, the other like thousands of bomb threats all came from uh, an Israeli man who was Jewish, who was mad because he did not get into the uh, Israeli Defense Force and is now spending 10 years in prison for these bomb threats. <laughs> <It's Okay>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so it, it's interesting how Pollock is wording this because Pollock refer, refers to it as a hoax and says that they are still using this as like a donate us money, even though this was like a hoax thing. But like, is it really a hoax? Because it sounds to me like those those threats would still be threatening, even if it didn't come with like, even if the person was like, I wasn't really going to carry out the bombing. Each individual threat is still threatening, right? Like that's still technically a crime. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not a it's not a hoax. They were real threats, right? Yeah, last I last I checked, it's not a not so much a hoax. It's a crime to utter a threat of imminent violence. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, like and, pretty much every country is like that. I um yeah. I don't know. Let's like go back and listen it. <clears throat> so now, sorry, I got something in my throat here. <clears throat> now that you you've heard me explain what actually happened. Listen again to how, how Pollock sort of uh, describes this. And include, so the ADL has to manufacture this crisis to some extent. That's why when there were 
200 hoax bomb threats back in 2017. The ADL. So already it was 2,000. So he just said it was 200, but. Still included the hoaxes in their annual statistics of anti Semitic attacks, even though they were fake. And the ADL uses those annual reports to go to donors and members of the public asking for money. And so. <laughs> So he's calling them hoaxes and fakes, but it's like, okay, so the person didn't actually want to follow through with the bomb threat. There's still threats. <laughs> yeah, they called a place and they placed a threat. It happened. Yeah. Like maybe something that might have been glossed over. Like that sounds like what Pollock was saying. That sounds like the rebel business model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make, make, make some like big, like scary thing. Ask for money, get money. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. Sign my petition, right? <laughs> also, I did like that his cell phone went off right after he said 200 rather than 2,000 <laughs> as if his cell phone was trying to correct his But Deep state conspiracy theory, Joel Pollock's cell phone is actually trying to correct his bullshit. Again, like any any nice guest would have sh would have shut their fucking phone off by now. <laughs> like, even not even just like having your room or having in the pocket, but this thing's like always in the microphone's range. Yep. Cause he all like, and here's the thing is it would be one thing if he was like always on call, like if he was a nurse or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Such that like he needs, so it goes off. And then one time he has to leave the interview to go rush to something, but like, he doesn't need to do that. Just put it on mute for like the, the 20 some odd minutes that you're being interviewed for. It's got to be the worst fucking healthcare I've ever thought of. It's like, uh, we need you in ICU. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I couldn't think of a good example where you're like, no, no, so on call like that. Anyways, we'll move on from this. And other organizations work the same way, not just in the Jewish community, in the black community, particularly also uh, the Catholic community. The Southern Poverty Law Center works the same way. There's an interest financially in hyping the danger of these threats. And that's part of it. The other part is that politically, the money's on the left. Conservative donors are very, very bad at funding the kinds of organizations that would sustain conservative politics outside of the normal election cycle. What you see in terms of Donald Trump and the Republican Party is almost exclusively related to grassroots fundraising. And there are some <laughs> mega donors and so forth, but those are people who focus on electing politicians and on promoting issues. There are very, very promoting billionaires issues. <laughs> on the Republican side who invest in what might be called the institutional right, right. whereas the institutional left is an entire ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> promoting ideas. So uh, for organizations on the quote-unquote left, he named the ADL, the Southern Potter Poverty Law Center, um, well, there's going and to be then more. I the think... black community as a whole, yeah. <laughs> and the Catholics like, as a wouldn't, whole. Wouldn't those technically be like neutral or like center at best? Like it's a they're they're not monoliths. Well, he... well exactly. Like they're. I mean, even some of the things that they're going to get into, because like uh, Ezra's about to, I think, list list them off. Finally, I couldn't remember exactly when he starts naming them off, but there is one point where he names off specifically who he thinks like George Soros is funding. Uh, but it's it's still it's like this. I mean, you notice like because they're going to talk about like again like what is what is promoting ideas versus whatever they're describing as like the institutional left. 
Like, I don't know what either of these things mean in the context of what they're saying. Because if... Because <laughs> if there is... can let the viewer, listener put in their, their own thing. Like, it's, it's ad-lib. No, it, it is completely. Because, like, if you have an institutional left and you're funding it, you're funding it to what? Promote ideas? <laughs> Which is apparently exactly what the, the right-wing funding is doing. And they, they never mention it, but like I do want to say, like Breitbart is itself like funded by what the the Mercer family, which again like billionaires funding money in, into these things. And they're gonna mention they they don't mention the Mercers in this clip, but uh, we're gonna hear Ezra self name the Coke uh, family, which is ironic because he oh, he doesn't mention the fact that the Cokes have funneled a lot of money through him and his uh, enterprise. Yeah, I, I just wanted to real quick, Jody, just make a note that like the the two organizations that they noted, the ADL and the SPLC are, well, I'm not sure about the ADL, but the SPLC is obviously an organization that has designated a group that has at least some loose ties Rebel News, uh, to Rebel News in the Proud Boys and designated them as a hate group, right? So I, I wonder why that particular organization was at the front of their minds, you know? Like, yeah. it was just a thought I had. Um, you sounded like you were going to say something? Oh, I was kind of thinking, too, is, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, hasn't the SPLC, like, defended people for, like, free speech issues and, like, namely, like, right-wing right wing <laughs> slash, like, neo-nazi-ish types no, like thinking as a the, matter of like course i think you're thinking of the aclu uh, okay no so yeah i'm gonna mix up, which, mix up here which ezra has like an interesting relationship with as well he he has endorsed he says he gives money to the canadian version of the aclu yet through this pandemic he keeps signaling he's no longer going to give to them anymore because they're not doing enough to protect people who refuse to wear masks and stuff like this <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, the ACLU is complicated. Uh, they do do some things. I just said do do, but <laughs> they do Ooh. some things uh, that I think are are good. But I I don't think that they were on the right side of say the Charlottesville case where they eventually helped allow that to proceed. It that never ended up uh, leading to the death of Heather Heyer because of their court ruling, basically. Yeah, as a case of like free speech issues, mainly in the states, like I could understand the argument that and the the obviously the justification why they do their work, but yeah, no, it's it's complicated. Yeah. Well, we're gonna hopefully we'll get to these the naming of these organizations soon. So. <laughs> you know, uh, we've we've gone through the Open Societies Foundation. That's uh, George Soros's own foundation. Um, it, it's Sorry. such an interesting website because it's not shy. I mean, Here they use uh, words to fudge what they're really up to, but they're quite boastful. And they, right on their front page, acknowledge that Soros has given and pledged over $30 billion to these institutional battles on the left. There's, I, I mean, I think of the families on the right, the, the Coke Foundation, the Coke Industries, um, the, uh, Richard Mellon Scaife was the, uh, if I'm getting the name right, was the fella uh, in the past. <clears throat> you know, they might give a hundred million dollars. They might give a billion over a lifetime. But here's Soros personally in for 30 billion. I think it's not just in 
the Jewish community, I think it's in the black community, radicalizing that community through Black Lives Matter. I think it's in the environmental movement, which is being radicalized. Um, I think it's in the Hispanic movement, La Raza. I think that, that uh, ironically, it's the left with the dough. I think if you ask the ordinary person, they'd say, oh, no, big companies have the dough. Yeah, but they're leftists these days. <laughs> Yeah, this is like again, as a, doing a spoke bomb move. The right doesn't go into the oh, permanent agitating. Let's play. Right. La oh, Raza. Yeah, La Raza. La Raza. The, the pronunciation <laughs> of that as well. Um, that is, I'm sorry, that is the whitest way I have ever heard. So I'm trying to pronounce <laughs> a Spanish word in my life. <laughs> La Raza. But again, like you can see, it's this. What did, what did he list there? So it was Black Lives Matter the environmental movement and the Hispanic movement. And then he named La Raza. It, it's, it's funny. Like he named off all the things that right-wingers in America hate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's just an incredible coincidence. Aro. It's weird. He named uh, black people, Mexicans and the environment. Hmm. Like everything they hate. And George Soros. Weird. And, and here's the thing is like, there's no, like, Okay, there might be like a list of like Soros is donating money. I think the environmental connection might be the clearest. Like Soros is definitely funding environmental groups uh, like the Tides Foundation and stuff like this. But even then, like it's not like there's no evidence that George Soros has any like immediate control over their their programming and policy and like their actions. But at the same time, they could be deferential to him because of the fact that he donated like a ton of money to them. But at the same time, it's like the Tides Foundation is not the only environmental group that's out there that's doing anything, right? But like they'll want to connect them to like Extinction Rebellion and more uh, grassroots activist sort of environmental movements. But like there's no like Black Lives Matter. Where is it? Where is this evidence that he's donating to Black Lives Matter? Or this this. I don't. I don't even know what this Hispanic group is that he's referring to. You mean La Raza? La Raza. Yeah. Um, <laughs> La Raza. So based on a quick Google, it's now called uh, Unidos US, um, but it used to be the National Council of La Raza, which um, La Raza is like Spanish for people, the people or the race, because it was a, um, or it is still a like legal advocacy group for uh, Latinos and Hispanic people in the U.S. Well, if there's one so thing... So it's right basically the one. ADL and SPLC again. <laughs> uh, I rest my case. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah in the chat did ask, how would you even donate to Black Lives Matter? And I will say, like, our local group uh, of Black Lives Matter activists, they just started up a GoFundMe and got a shit ton of donations from like tons of just random people like it wasn't george soros it was like small donations from like tons of people in our city and i well, do know that fair. yeah and i, I do know george soros that's great <laughs> lots of random soros is totally just donating all those millions and billions in like five dollar increments don't you know right. they always they always talk about george soros as if he's like the top tier Donut donor at a Patreon account, and uh, if that were the case, you know, <laughs> like, like I, I, you know, I use my powers to make Jody talk about WAP for half an hour. And I feel like George Soros <laughs> is missing an opportunity here. 
George Soros must have like so many Patreon bonuses at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or did he set up some sort of like bot network that can do like individual grassroots? <laughs> like, it's just like the, it's so silly to begin with because you're like, even even if George Soros, because like say say there's uh, the National Black Lives Matter group in America, and we talked about some of that in our first stream that was about Black Lives Matter being connected to witchcraft or <laughs> the nonsense that was in that episode, right? Even if, say, George Soros came in and donated a ton of money to Black Lives Matter, which is possible he did, what, like, how does that explain the kind of grassroots movement that is occurring in, like, every state in America right now and all those protests and all the people showing up, right? He, like, pays, he pays them all, Joby. He pays them all, plus he's the head warlock. <laughs> Black magic. Well, Pollock's eventually going to get into some stupid uh, accusations, so we might as well go oh, into witch, witchcraft. Pardon? Is he going to mention like some sort of like witchcraft no. thing? Uh, <laughs> no, that was our first stream. We had Drea Humphreys from uh, Rebel News uh, tried to link Black Lives Matter to witchcraft, and that's why your church shouldn't support Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I'm having <laughs> flashbacks from that already. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to go on. Yeah, and again, yeah. the the money on the right doesn't go into these kinds of permanent agitating organizations. Right. I mean, the reason you have pro-life organizations is because there are a lot of Christians. That's an organic source for pro-life activism. But the reason you have so much Antifa is not because there are so many Americans who hate America. It's because there's a way of doing this that fits in with the budgets of left-wing organizations. We... <laughs> Wow. There, there is not a single person that actually hates uh, hates America. So therefore, Antifa is clearly a paid organization by George Soros and these democratic I institutions. Love, I love the implication that like George Soros is funding Antifa, but he's not funding them with like you know military weaponry or anything like that. He's just Probably giving them like, he's giving them some like two by fours and signs and just some soup for their family. And saying, "Go on, you take over America." I don't know. As, as the as the um, treasurer in chief of Antifa Incorporated, I can tell you that the process by which we have to apply for funds to rent a U-Haul truck for forty five dollars is excruciating. <laughs> I will say, like that's that's what they're going to get to. I don't even think they're connecting George Soros to the signs, but it's the fact that George Soros has apparently bought these U-Hauls. Is <laughs> they're really going to get to it? But again, like. You have George Soros. If you think that George Soros is funding this movement, and you think that all he's going to give them is a single U-Haul truck <laughs> to, to carry around their milk cartons or Capri Suns or whatever, it's like that's ridiculous. But we only got that's the insane. one U-Haul. It's clearly it's it's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that we just don't see because of this one U-Haul. Actually, because yeah. corporations are left-wing these days. <laughs> U-Haul itself is Antifa. <gasps> actually, thank you for Enjoy. bringing it back to that because we did miss this. He did say that corporations nowadays are left-wing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I honestly think that comes from like stupid shit like the fact that like Nike likes Colin Kaepernick and that they had that Gillette ad that was like, maybe men need to not harm women. And then every like chud on the internet lost their minds collectively. Uh, You're trying to say that men shouldn't <laughs> rape women? Yeah. That's Antifa right there. And so that's why <laughs> corporations are left-wing now, even though they're still capitalist scum. 
that the left is yes like there's there's a noted very high amount of ceos that are like communist or socialist or any any other like yeah right yeah um none of them are right wingers Them, them anarchist CEOs are everywhere. You just don't know it. They're just wearing the business casuals. Base Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Jeff Bezos. Anyways, they're all left wing. Every single one of them. Every every corporation out there is left wing, except for Coke. Apparently, it's the one. Oh, and the the Richard Mellencamp uh, or Mellenscape was the only other right wing high funder that he mentioned, and I I think. They're just a, a, a an oil conglomerate again. I think he died in like 2014, but his family just donated to things like the American Enterprise Institute. So, um, but we'll go on. He showed several years ago how many of the original Black Lives Matter protests back in 2014, 2015 were being supported in part by Soros-funded organizations. At a recent riot in Louisville, Kentucky, after the announcement that police officers wouldn't be directly charged in the death of Breonna Taylor, there was a woman who showed up in a U-Haul truck, and people ran to the U-Haul truck and pulled out shields and signs and weapons. And this woman turned out to be affiliated with a bail reform organization that I believe was also Soros-funded. Shields and weapons. I I just wanted to say I'm happy that, again, my my efforts as uh, Antifa treasurer in chief have not gone on notice, and uh, that the U-Haul truck uh, served its purpose. Now, how much of the story do you want to think is true? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give a generous five percent. Uh, I guess most of it's <clears throat> most of it's true, except for the punchline. I think. So he I think the punchline is ninety-five percent. Necessarily right. say it was true. <laughs> good, good he covered catch. himself from a libel lawsuit there. So true is a strong. So that that is that is the part that's the lie. So there was this truck. I think it cost eighty dollars. Well, the other lie is he said there was weapons on it. Like I mean, I guess that's like a pretty vague term. I guess you could turn any sign into a bludgeon if you wanted to, but it was signs and, and shields to protect them from the fascist assholes at these uh, events. And the police, who are also fascist assholes. And and so $80. And this woman did work for this bail fund. Now the question is, was this bail fund Soros funded? He says that he believes that it was Soros funded. The only source that I could find for this, and many reporting has narrowed down the source for this, was an anonymous Facebook post. It's not based on any reality whatsoever, except for an anonymous oh, well, Facebook but, post. <laughs> well, you, well, you know it's true, Jody, because if you see it on Facebook, it's absolutely, uh, you can't argue with it. You know, literally, though, you can't argue with it because you'll just drive yourself insane with these cute motherfuckers. But it's like how, like, it's so frustrating when they're, when they're this blatantly stupid slash intentionally lying and, and knowing they're doing it, which is why, like, I think if he wa- wasn't lying, he probably just would have flat out said that they did it, that Soros did fund this van. But he knows that if you dig into it, you know, so he's like, oh, I believe I'm going to sound like a reasonable person and say, you know, I, I believe I heard somewhere, you know, I'm not going to like commit to it 100 percent. 
And then I'm still going to like put the seeds out there to my ignorant audience that is listening to me right now that George Soros is funding U-Hauls at Black Lives Matter events. I mean, that's that's the nail on the head, though, isn't it? It's the ignorant audience who's not really going to look into this that is going to trust the news source to provide them an accurate account of what's happening that just so happens to fit their preconceived notion. And I think we've talked about this before, but like they know they're doing it, right? This this isn't like a, oh, well, you know, it might be this. I'm just sort of like speculating. It's They know that there's no evidence for it. They just want their audience to believe it. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say the term news source doing a lot of work in that phrase. But it's it's... It's also like what they're telling you about or what the like sort of like image that the audience must have in their heads about how Soros functions in this. Because here is like you have this woman who spent $80 of her own money out of pocket to rent a U-Haul to move some like signs and, and I say shields, but like, let's be honest, the, they weren't like, they clearly were like crafted together with hands and crafts methods. They weren't like, like, cause there was like a week later, another U-Haul showed up to one of these rallies and it was a, a proud boy or one of these fascist adjacent organizations. And they were like custom made like plastic shields that they got like produced somewhere. Cause again, they're probably getting money from <laughs> capitalist sources that want to support uh, this shit. They got their money from grassroots millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back the blue or whatever else there is. But it's the idea that even like, because they're not even saying that the money somehow like got there and then, and, and then I guess like, what is the implication? Did George Soros say like, lady who works at bail fund, use $80 of the billions I just sent you to buy a U-Haul van to... <laughs> Oddly specific and a real shoestring budget. Yeah. I love that like message from on high aspect of it too. Lady, go <laughs> purchase a shield. And that and that's the only example too. Like that's the other part of it. Like you could have like come up with so many examples. It's like, oh, you want the evidence that George Soros is funding all this stuff? A U-Haul van in Louisiana. Like as, ahead, as, far as, as far as like conspiracy theories, like this kind of fits the bell for that like this is very lazy conspiracy theory making yeah. <laughs> i'm making an opinion on that yeah anyways we'll move on from the u-haul <laughs> so yeah it's so stupid so again you have this kind of regiment or or reserve of these uh, left-wing soldiers who are given Wait, what? gainful <laughs> employment if you can call it that uh, during the interim between protest actions and when things go nuts then the phone knows they're able to support themselves financially um conservatives don't do this and (laughs) (laughs) yeah right what did he say he said like he so the plan is george soros like gainfully employs these people and keeps them around just for the time when they need to like send them out there as activists so that they're not like (laughs) i guess the idea is like you don't want to tie them into like another job where they don't have that opportunity to be like, Hey boss, I need to go protest the fascists. And the boss goes, okay, so that'll never happen. So he needs to gainfully employ them in the meantime. And then a leash. 
George Soros keeps his activists in cryogenic sleep until the time in which they need to go protest. And then he's paying them this whole time to just do nothing. And then he activates them. And if that's the case, George Soros, hit me up. (laughs) Exactly. Going back to your nurse uh, reference there, Jody, probably they got uh, pagers and whenever their oncologist rings incessantly. Holy shit, Pollock was the Antifa all along. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to say, I mean, Ken, you made a joke of it, but yeah, it seems like every time uh, Pollock says something that's completely crazy, the cell phone goes off. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, the phone goes off. Is it just like his wife or something is on the other end? Like, what the fuck are you saying? What is this? (laughs) Oh my god, I can't even remember the last thing he said there. It's like, it's a... oh, and then it was conservatives, conservatives don't. Yeah, yeah, conservatives don't do it, not at all. Not any of the money that goes in. Like, we're right now having the uh, hearings for Amy Coney Barrett. Where do you think she came from? Like, you have these like billionaire-funded organizations, like the Federalist Society, full of people whose sole job it is is to build up these judicial appointees that they then want to eventually appoint to the Supreme Court and get them nominated to all these benches. And so it's a hugely corporate-funded organization to do this and pay all these people to do this, all so that they could get someone on the court that's going to do their corporate bidding and uh, do things like uh, basically overturn Roe v. Wade. So all this money is going into that. But for them, it's like, nope. Not happening. Um, yeah, you know what? She's a Catholic. And as we know, the Catholics are one of those left-funded organizations. <laughs> well, so I, he actually, you're proving his point again. Did, did, I don't remember them mentioning Catholics specifically, but they did talk about how a pro-life organization, organization is grassroots. Yes. And... They said that that's an example of like, see, the right wing is grassroots where the left wing is not grassroots. But the Catholic Church donates a shit ton of money to these causes. At least like a lot of reporters have made good evidence to sort of make the links. Although you can't have like a perfect one to one link because of the tax structure of the United States where churches are tax exempt. But we're pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, as Vienno said, right? The Catholic Church is a major grassroots organization. Sure it is. <laughs> noted for having billions in... Yeah. Well, it's noted for a lot of things nowadays. Yeah, it's going to be a list long. Yeah, they take donations from their, from their congregation at every service. Yeah, yeah it's no. grassroots on that technicality, I guess. Vienno, were you going to say something? Uh, no. Oh, I thought you tried to cut in there and then... Got talked over. Just wanted to make sure. All right, but uh, I don't. I don't remember them saying Catholics are left wing. I don't remember that. Maybe they did. <laughs> they said that um, at the same time that they were talking about the Black community and um, the SBLC and ADL all at the same time. Interesting. Yeah, I'll go back to yeah. I think most people would prefer this part of our political world fade away. It hasn't contributed anything positive. It doesn't increase civic engagement. Quite the opposite. I mean, George Soros calls his foundation the Open Society, but often it's the opposite. George Soros is now synonymous with shutting down free speech, 
eliminating conservatives from political discourse and turning our cities upside down, which is exactly the opposite of how most people want to live in an open society. So, yeah. notice, like, and Ezra, Ezra's going to, to get to it right now. But you can tell with how Joel just set that up. Because now he's made Soros such a powerful, influential person that this solitary Jew, Jew is the one solely responsible for de- the destruction of Western society. Wow, you don't have to say that. That sounds one weird. Jew to rule them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I was just gonna say uh, I. George Soros, to me, has become synonymous with crazy uncles you regret inviting to Thanksgiving dinners, like, because they tend to go on rants. And hitting ignore on Facebook. Exactly. So now we're going to enter uh, Ezra's defense, sort of, th- that they're not anti-Semitic for this, because we're all feeling that they're anti-Semitic by focusing on this one Jew. Ironically, if you mention that, that's called anti-Semitic, even here in Canada. A conservative MP didn't even allude to anything other than Soros money uh, causing strife, and she was denounced as anti-Semitic. I, I, the irony there being, of course, Soros himself um, was born Jewish, but uh, has expressed his antipathy towards the religion and is hostile to the modern state. So it's very- Does anyone feel relieved by that answer? <laughs> oh, is it not palpable to you, Jody? If your if your response to it is oh for those who think that we're being anti-Semitic the truth is he's not really a Jew <laughs> he he Such renounced his Judaism so he's he's not quite Jewish which is pretty anti-Semitic thing to say to someone who's Jewish like <laughs> <laughs> is he Jewish or is he Jewish well the. <laughs> I do want to say too, because they, they like flew over this, which is this whole there was this conservative MP thing. Did anyone realize that this happened? So this only happened back in August. I'll take your silence. No. Yeah, go on, please continue. <laughs> so he throws this out there, and I'm like, what? What is he talking about? So back in August, conservative MP Carrie Lynn Finley shared an edited video of an interview between liberal MP Christian Freeland with George Soros. And this was back when she was the, uh, she was a journalist for the Financial Times. And in the edited clip, it portrays Soros uh, as stating that he wants a new world order with like uh, the Chinese government like in control of it. (laughs) And Finley shared the video and added that Canadians should be concerned by the closeness between Christian Freeland and George Soros, and that a Freeland is listening to Soros like the student listens to the teacher. <laughs> hmm. And so she got some blowback for this, and it became a news story, and she took down the tweet and did an apology tweet and all that fun stuff. And newly minted uh, conservative leader Eric O'Toole had to come in and be like, I still think she should stay an MP. She apologized and all that kind of fun stuff. So she's still an MP. 
But I would say that was a pretty anti-Semitic tweet. Like, Ezra just frames it as mere criticism of George Soros. Is that criticism of George Soros, or is that anti-Semitic? Take out the name, and if you understand any proper anti-Semitic tropes, it's <laughs> Bill? I, I don't know, maybe? Something like, crazy? <laughs> this is the thing that Ezra, like, as I mentioned earlier in his book Shakedown, right? It's this idea of, like, He'll just like say this thing just flippantly, like, oh, yeah. And then sh anyone who just mentions anything critical of Soros and they get called an anti Semite. And it like completely strips all the context out of the situation where if anyone heard it would go, holy shit, that was anti Semitic. Which, like, if his argument is like all these people who, who want to call me, me, a Jew, a Nazi sympathizer or Nazi adjacent, how could they? And yet he's constantly running defense for, for Nazi sympathizers and anti-Semites. Ezra's brain must be very interesting to be in. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very infuriating. And uh, we'll, we'll get a little last little bit here of Ezra, and then we're going to be jumping into uh, some pretty insane racism from Joel Pollock. So, <laughs> so here we go. Hooray. Very crazy times when uh, a defender of Israel and Jews like Donald Trump is called the word Nazi, but it shouldn't surprise us. I'm sure you are called that too, and you're a practicing Jew. I'm not as uh, observant as perhaps I should be. We're called that. It, it doesn't even mean anything uh, when it's thrown against us, but it cheapens the phrase. I wish we weren't called Nazis because we have to keep that wor word like a sharp knife that's not dulled by overuse. Once in a while, you really do have an anti-Semite or a Nazi, you need that word to mean something by calling Trump, you, me, whatever, Nazis. The word doesn't have any meaning. Last word to you, Joel. So I just called Ezra a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer right before he just said that uh, if we call him a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer, we're cheapening the term. <laughs> so did I, did I cheapen the term? <laughs> Does it I feel cheated. <laughs> Does it, I'm curious what any of you think about whether or not the overuse of Nazi actually does cheapen that term. Like, it, that is something that you you constantly hear. And I remember it, especially back in 2015, the lead up, the lead up to the 2016 election, was you had these, like, woke centrist types who were just like, if you just throw around Nazi, it'll just lose all meaning. And then we won't have this, like integral word that we need to call out actual Nazis. And yet the only people that I ever hear making that argument are people who seem somewhat sympathetic to Nazis <laughs> or fascism generally. I, I would, I would call back to our earlier, earlier in this, in this cast uh, where we talked about like how, and little bread in the chat actually made the, the point better than I did when I tried earlier um, is that Nazi becomes the shorthand or anyone that seems to sort of sympathize with these kinds of ideologies and, and, and movements and such. Um, so I think it can get tiring and exhausting, but only in the same degree that, you know, things like 2020, like everything, everything can get exhausted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're all exhausted and tired and all this shit, but it's only because it keeps happening. Um, it doesn't make it less true. But again, it's like when I said earlier too, it, if someone like Dinesh D'Souza were to call me a Nazi for being left-wing, which is his whole shtick, 
I don't feel like like the terms being cheapened because Dinesh D'Souza is like overly applying it. Like it, it <laughs> I just like I don't know why this is like some people, especially liberals, think that this is a great argument. Which is why I think like the right wing keeps using it. But liberals think this is a great argument for some reason. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Because like the the words like there's an analogy there, as you said, like between the ideology. And so it's like if you're using it because you're making that analogy, the worst someone could say is like either that is a good or bad analogy, and then you can have that discussion. Like the like simply using it doesn't somehow cheapen it or like lessen its effect. Because even like earlier in this thing, like uh, Joel Pollock at the beginning of this thing talked about how this word has an effectiveness. So it's like it either has this effectiveness or it doesn't, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a term that is either applicable or non-applicable or somewhere in between. And it's like if someone's going up blood and soil kind of shit, kind of fits the bill for Nazi. Or again, like if you're Ezra and you're skirting, if you're, if you're defending these people constantly, then eventually oh, yeah. I'm just going to go, fuck it, you're a fascist. Like, I'm not going to yeah, play it's... your word games. <laughs> It's the application of the same logic that they use when, like, talking about left-wing people in general, where it's like, oh, you know, we're all so easily offended and, like, aren't suitable for the real world and blah, 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 but also are funded by all powerful corporations and institutions and are, like, incredibly, incredibly, like, able to do whatever we want and oppress right-wingers and at the same time are so easily, like defeated and sad and weak except applied to like a singular word where it's like the word is both all powerful and not powerful at all and we must avoid it at all costs in order to negate it's both all power and no powerfulness like the paradoxical strongman basically yeah and sarah in the chat is right like it is projection but that that is the fast the fascist move i mean like like that is exactly how the Nazis sort of conceptualized the Jew as being all powerful and somehow could secretly manipulate and pull all the strings and yet be so weak at the same time. Right? Like it, it was a, it, that contradiction is always present within, within fascism. Yeah, Except like for in this case, whole... it's applied Sorry. to the leftists, but not the, the Jews. Yes. Yeah, like the whole Goebbels thing too. It's like, Call call everyone that that which you are basically. So, <laughs> but now who's who's ready for some Joel Pollock racism? <laughs> Were we ever? Let's do it. Racism and uh, I guess incorrect understanding of the history of of the Holocaust, Germany. Anyways, here he goes. Well, I think that we have also uh, arrived at the point where there's a larger problem with the way the public has been taught about the Holocaust, you know, especially in the United States. We've taught about the Nazis and the Holocaust as sort of a subset of a larger problem of racial prejudice. So the idea is that there's a slippery slope. Once you start disliking a certain group of people or if some people are discriminated against or some people merely have less than others, there's a slippery slope to the death camps. So, oh, what? <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to like paraphrase it. 
I think what he's trying to say is that leftists want to say that once you have any kind of racial prejudice, that that must mean that you're necessarily going to move towards death camps, that like death camps are inevitable. And he's trying to say is like, no, you can have racism and it won't lead to death camps. And when I paraphrase it this way, which is exactly like it is what he's saying. I'm just like, are you? It sounds like he's trying to say like, don't worry, like racism's fine. You can have some racism because it's not going to lead to death camps. We have a little bit of racism as a treat. Just a little. Can we? Took the Avenue Q approach, I guess. To this, I was literally just thinking uh, of everyone's a little bit racist. That song. (laughs) (laughs) And part. And part of me wants to say, like, I don't know anyone who makes this argument. He keeps, he like, he's talking about it as if, like, everyone thinks this way, but they're, like, fundamentally wrong, and he's the one who figured it all out. And my thing is, like, I don't think that having racism, because we've always had racism, <laughs> I don't think merely having racism inevitably leads, leads to death camps. But part of me is, like, if you're going to have death camps eventually, it's coming from racism. <laughs> to, like, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like you can't separate these two things, and maybe we should be concerned about racism generally for the off chance that it's going to be the virulent kind that will lead us towards uh, death camps. That's, I mean, that's the weird thing about describing it as a slippery slope, right? He makes it sound like, oh, you like people think there'll be racism, and then there'll be immediately death camps, yeah. and he's ignoring the fact that there will be racism, and then there will be uh, systematic disenfranchisement, and then there will be systemic inequalities which cause death and then eventually if left in power yes then there will be concentration camps and there will be death camps like it is i mean i'll I'll just say it it is an inevitable outcome of unconstrained racism that you will remove the group that which you are racist towards like that's that's just a factor of it um but no one thinks like oh if there's like some random racist wanker in the street like he's gonna he's gonna be the guy who established that camp yeah the random guy is shouting in the street that he hates mexicans he's he's gonna do it no we don't think that it's just that you can't have a racist culture that will not at some point lead to um the murder of the group that's racist against. well say you take that individual racist like one sign that like that individual racist could be an indicator of society's trend towards death camps would be a culture that thinks it's like totally cool for this racist to be here shouting what they're shit like shouting right which means there's systems in yeah. place that protect this person and allow them to keep spewing the racist bullshit and build a racial following that then creates racialized movements to target racialized groups and like and it's like maybe those are the things that we should combat instead of uh ezra and joel here saying we don't even need groups that track these things because ah, racism is not a problem anymore this gets to sort of the question you asked us at the beginning, which is how do we think that uh, Ezra and Joel are going to respond to accusations of Nazis and fascism? And this is part of the denial and switching away from admitting culpability of enforcing those systems. Yeah. It's and it's and it's like you can tell like this is where like the more obvious fascism is starting to sneak into their views. Because like you can say like you can see that what Joel is kind of saying here is there that like why can't I be a little bit racist you know <laughs> and, and like you're laughing but just we're gonna we're gonna get to some of the things that he's just about to say and it's clear 
like to me they're they're not dog whistles they're like racist like sirens are blaring but like he's gonna say some shit right here that is like racist as shit and he's also advocating that it's like uh yeah like we should be allowed to be a little racist because it's not gonna lead to these death camps so like you should just let me say all this racist shit and i shouldn't be canceled i shouldn't be removed from my job i should just be allowed to let me live my fascist existence to convert more normies you know just want to hate black people just a little bit. Just yeah. a little. Just a few racial epithets. Just a few. Just a few N-bombs. Just one. Just one. I just want one. I get one a day. I want that. Concrete <laughs> speech. Uh, so here it goes. <laughs> and to some extent, I think Jewish people in a, in a well-meaning way have also played into this. But if you actually look at what Nazism was about, Nazism was, Nazism was about the idea that society is defined by races and that races have a place in a hierarchy and that institutional arrangements have to be redone so that each race can occupy its appropriate place and you start to get into a philosophy that looks a lot more like what the left wants to do to american society than what the right wants to do i'm not did you catch that <laughs> Like, we'll we'll play a little bit more because he's gonna he's gonna explain it a bit more, but you can always already see that he's setting up that like, the Nazis believed in natural inborn racial hierarchies, and he then goes, "This is also what the left believes." Now, I think for any of us who self-identify as leftists in this chat right now, I, think he's I personally. <laughs> I personally don't believe in natural inbuilt hierarchies in racial categories. So I don't know what leftist he's referring to. I mean, if, if I'm going to take a stab, I think most of us, if not all of us, are on mixed ethnic backgrounds on multiple levels. So no, from that, just that logic. Well, I think a lot of leftists understand the biology of race uh, is non-existent. <laughs> oh, that, well, that too. But <laughs> and so it's like, you, you can't have a biological innate hierarchical categorization of something that is a social thing. And then even then, since it is just a, a social category, why would we want to stack it in some sort of hierarchy? Especially if you're a leftist. Doesn't make sense to me, but we'll hear what he has to say. I'm one of those who thinks that national socialism is a left-wing ideology. I don't think we can really describe the Nazis as being left. So I, I do want to say there, like that was interesting to me. He, he just goes, I don't want to say that the Nazis are left. They're clearly not left. D but, wow, it's the one point of, me, of agreement. <laughs> yeah. But he walks it back a little later. But <laughs> uh, Darn it. <laughs> But I do think that today's left is fascist in some of its ideology and their insistence on the importance of race, which goes against everything in the liberal small L tradition, goes against the best of the American civil rights movement. That insistence on race has a lot to do with the racial theories that really did lead ultimately to the isolation of Jews within Europe, which preceded their extermination. So, this is hard to follow because he isn't saying much. What he, what he is saying, so he's like, the left insists on race and believes in the importance of race. And because they insist in, on race 
and believe in the importance of it, that therefore, like the Nazis, it's going to lead to death camps. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Cal the logic. Hmm. Flawless victory, Joel. <laughs> and I mean, this should be obvious to anyone, right? Like, what most leftists think about when it comes to race is that, as I said, it's a social, not a biological category. But the reason why the social category would be important is, say, for example, if you had a body of people that are charged with enforcing the laws of a country, and they seem to disproportionately target one of these social categories over all the other social categories, and it might leave you going, why are they targeting this one social category more than the others? Maybe we should think of this category as important such that we can address this fucking problem. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Which is a lot different than saying what the importance of this category means to me is that it's a biological innate characteristic such that some are superior than others and we need to execute the inferiors. Which is not the same fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, that's polar opposites, I think. <laughs> but it's like, it's weird because like, their whole thing here is like, how dare these people make an analogy to like Nazism and fascism? And here they are comparing the left to, to Nazis and fascism merely because of this thing called the importance of race. So it's like the whole front half of this fucking show can just go out the window because here we are going to cheapen this category that we worried about being cheapened because we're going to analogize that the left is like the Nazis because they believe in the importance of race. Joel Pollock. What a guy. Like it gets to this point and you're just like, he's someone who clearly has a lot of negative thoughts about racial categories. And, uh, here it comes. <laughs> I don't know if it's immediately going to be this clip, but it's, it's going. I'm not saying that we're in danger of exterminating anybody in the West, but just this morning, the Associated Press, for example, did an article about how Trump's prosecutors, his U.S. attorneys, are overwhelmingly white, or they're more white than Obama's was. Now, you're not asking the important questions, which is, are they better at fighting crime? Do they get better results? Do they protect people's rights better? Are they an effective check on local and state corruption? I mean, you're not looking at what these attorneys do or what these prosecutors do. You're basically judging them on the basis of race. So he picks out this one point of going, look, the AP point, points to the racial category of these groups of prosecutors and the merely pointing out that, hey, why are they all white? That is itself racist because you've now isolated one, one category, this racial category. So therefore the left, they're the real racists, right? <laughs> and, and we could obviously say like, what's the obvious reason why you wanna focus on the racial category of the prosecutors of the United States appointed to by Trump? Why does because that matter? Because they're abusing the power? Because they have racial bias or they persist in a system that is systematically racist, which is why only white people are in that position. What? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> that doesn't Certainly not. <laughs> not in my country. Not in, not in good old United States <laughs> America. Would there be any sort of 
systemic and systematic racism uh, perpetrated by law enforcement against black, brown, and indigenous people. That that's just not a thing. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's like how dare how dare they talk about the race when they're not going to talk about how well they're doing their job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How well are they uh, overly incarcerating black people compared to white people? That's what I really need to know. Oh my god. Yeah. And we're gonna so so white. He's mad at the use of the white in this AP article, and now he's going to talk about words that the AP won't let you use, and see if you can catch what the difference between these words are. This is a rule that the Associated Press only applies to one group. You can't use the word illegal aliens or the phrase illegal aliens. You have to use undocumented immigrants, even though they're not immigrants, they're aliens, according to the law and according to common English. You can't use the word riots anymore. AP came out a few days ago saying people shouldn't use the word riots because of its negative connotations. So the AP is exquisitely sensitive when it comes to everybody except white people. But when it comes to white people, it has no problem publishing articles that are syndicated everywhere about the problem with Trump's prosecutors being their race. Now, why I am going to have an absolute <laughs> fucking aneurysm. Why would he think riots is an explicitly racial term? Hmm. Or illegal immigrant as a... Or illegal alien, sorry, which is the term that he is mad that they're refusing to use. Like... <laughs> It's the, to, to, to be serious, it's the dehumanization and the otherization, right? It's the, it's the creation of this, uh, they're not, they're, they're, they're not human, they are other. Othering, yeah. Well, this, this is why it's like the move he's making here is so blatant and so stupid because he's like, he's both saying like that these words have no racial connotation, right? So he's trying to say that. But in saying right. that, he's also saying that it's always this one group. These other groups get to use their words all the fucking time. Like they can, they right. can, <laughs> we can't use riot anymore because it's now it means them, you know? <laughs> yeah, does he complain yeah. about not being able to use the word urban youths also? <laughs> oh, fuck. You, you know, no. he's, he's there, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. uh, yeah, Jesus Christ. And uh, when I when I heard this, I was like, oh, I thought that was going to be the worst of it. But I don't think that's the worst of it. So, uh. And we are creating a situation where we're disadvantaging and impoverishing American society as a whole by reintroducing race into our political discussion. If you so before we get into the last, the last bit that's going to follow this. So the collapse of Western society is because we've reintroduced race as a concept. Makes sense. <laughs> so none of the other, like, everything just comes from the fact that we've reintroduced race as a concept and that it's come from the left. And that's why society is collapsing. Yeah, I've seen what this. Does, just... Go ahead, Vian. What does reintroduced mean? Where did it go? When did it go away? <laughs> Where the fuck did it go? That's a good point, Vian. <laughs> Yeah. I've been wondering that myself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same. Uh, it's the same argument. Like you see, you know, I, I've seen it a bunch lately. Where if you even mention race in any sort of context, um, you're the real racist. <laughs> like well, in, in any, it, you know, like I, I've had this conversation with with cousins. Like one of my cousins feels that the concept of white privilege is racist. You're pointing out like, something. 
yeah, yeah it's like it's, it's an acknowledgement dude like it's it's not i don't like there's no getting through to these people but this itself is fairness, a, sorry go on in fairness you know david silverman basically said past jim crow that was the end of racism once they took that down that was it all racism went away once the laws yeah once the racist laws were removed it's totally not racist no more in the world i well, also the, love when, I, I was just gonna say i love when they made murder illegal and murder is not happening yeah <laughs> yeah i was thinking that too well now, now once once they removed the explicitly racist laws that now it's illegal to go over the speed limit that means no one goes over the speed limit i will say this is the one point where uh I remember Caitlin chiming in when we initially recorded uh, this segment for the podcast that eventually I removed because it was too, we tried to rush it and it made the podcast too long. So now we're having a super long uh, live stream about it. (laughs) But but there's a sense, like the way Caitlin said it was, there was this move in the like 80s to 90s to try to remove like racialized language from the discourse, which comes into this like legalese of like colorblindness, right? That the laws are like racially neutral and therefore it's all gone. And so what, what Paul could be referring to here is this idea of like now trying to signal out that the initial neutrality is itself part of a systemic system such that you still have racial bias, even though you have this like pretend idea that it's colorblind uh that the reintroduction of race is now trying to like address those situations even though we lived in this era of like perceived colorblindness uh, so pollock is pro political correctness <gasps> yeah <laughs> yeah because like we shouldn't be talking about race at all right we're all we've now achieved colorblindness neutrality is in the law therefore and, like yeah but the thing that like annoys me with all the whole like colorblind notion is that like sure our laws might be neutral and i've said this tons of times on the show too but it's like you still have discretion at many levels right so it's like excuse me so even though you have a law in place that like explicit like it's just like doesn't have racialized language in it about how to adjudicate whether or not someone's guilty or not guilty of this crime you have judicial discretion you have uh, jury thoughts and feelings and opinions. You have the enforcement that comes into play and like where you enforce as a police officer and how much resources you put on that, right? Like there's so many levels in which uh, systematic pressures and human uh, choices come into play that isn't written explicitly in the law itself. So this whole notion of colorblindness is itself a stupid fucking concept, <laughs> in my opinion in my educated opinion that is completely i'm part of woke leftist nazi culture apparently <laughs> uh but uh yeah this is i think i got two segments left maybe yeah so uh brace yourself ask people how we will know when our society is no longer systemically racist they'll say things like well when every race is equally represented in some institution or another that's the idea the Nazis had. The Nazis had the idea that Jews were disproportionately represented in the professions and in business, and they had to make way for Germans to take those spots, at least as regards their proportion um. of the population. This is the same logic that's being used by some on the left, but they call it uh, socialism. But it's, you know, it's national socialism. It's essentially fascism. It's a form of uh, racism that sees our demography as our destiny. 
so there was the, the pun there about national socialism. So he he brought it back eventually. But uh, Vienna, I sent you had something you wanted to say. <laughs> I no, it was more just like shock, I guess. <laughs> like three rapid fire things of bullshit that like you know i didn't have time to recoil from the first one before the second one came. it was crazy yeah that, that takes a lot of massive flipping balls to say such ridiculous crap his his i just love this the argument is that leftists want so for, first is the claim of what the leftists want the lefts want equal representation for races in positions of power and I think to the extent that that is a true leftist position, it kind of like, I don't see the problem with it. If the idea is that like, if you accept the sort of like notions of systemic bias, one way to sort of address systemic bias, it's not the only way, so I just want to frame that now, it's not the only way, but one way to address systemic bias is to actually put people with a lived experience of different races onto these positions of power to have their experience represented on those bodies. Right. And to me, on the face of it, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. And he doesn't frame why it's a bad idea. Like, if I were to be charitable to, like, some sort of libertarian argument, they might say something, well, did they merit earning that position or something? Whatever stupid bullshit that they would say. Yeah, it's it's more... It's it's kind of the more interesting when they do merit that and they they have no arguments like oh you're just here because you're skin color it's like oh, exactly. they merit it and they have the experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that's that's I mean, <laughs> sorry you can finish this talk yeah. No, no, no I, I was just going to say like in any society or system where you don't have systemic bias you would at least expect um, for the representation across leadership positions to roughly match like the distribution of the population in general, right? Like you'd expect like however many white people we, percentage of white people we have in America versus how many percentage of black people in other races, you'd expect that to be in major leadership positions. And the fact that you don't see that is an indication that systemically there's some sort of issue. Uh, I, was gonna, I was thinking something about too. It's like, yeah, if there's not, if there's not representative uh, people in office, then yeah, there's some sort of problem to that. To I mean, that like, nature. If you're the, the real racist now, because you're now believe you're now talking about the importance, you're insisting uh, on race. <gasps> I I was the real racist all along. The real racist was inside all of us. No, right? Because you think like naturally, if there was no, if there was no either racial prejudice or systemic bias you should see at least roughly equal representations in positions of power. But because you don't have those equal representations, evidence. Like it's evidence of at least some kind of bias somewhere in the structure of the system. Yeah. Well, that's that's where maybe I'm thinking also like the nature of bias too. It's like, it's not necessarily inherently bad that there is bias, but it's a case of like, how does that bias affect everyone else? Right, I mean, it's the further like digging into it where you go, okay, there is this bias occurring in the system. Just so happens that we know that it's the history and structure of racism in the Americas. <laughs> and back it's going to go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there was this thing that existed at some point in America that, that had a, a large effect in the history of that country. I don't you know mean, what that was. All of, America? <laughs> all of American history? Yeah, and probably will be until your country gets 
I was going to say annihilated, but that sounded way too negative. <laughs> yeah. Comes to its inevitable conclusion <laughs> sometime in the, the future. Six Emperor Tyrannus. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know what that what is what that is. What that's from. Six Emperor Tyrannus. There's silence. Okay. You, you never you, you never heard that. That's always to tyrants. Oh no, I didn't know that. Not for that. I thought it was something way worse because uh, everyone went silent. <laughs> <laughs> you shout at you shout at tyrants and fascists who are oh, okay. powers. You're like, eventually there will be bad outcomes that befall <laughs> tyrants. Then I endorse that. <laughs> so now this is this is the last clip, and uh, I think that it was the most racist. So enjoy. Great. And it's such a regression that I I think at least I hope historians will look back one day at this moment and wonder how we possibly could have lost our collective minds and lost touch with all the reasons we fought all the struggles we did in the 20th century only to repeat the mistakes in the 21st. I hope it doesn't come to that, and I hope that our history isn't erased if it does, but that's, that's where we are right now. And uh, I, I think that the lesson of societies that introduce race, whether it's apartheid South Africa or post-liberation Zimbabwe, you might even say post-apartheid South Africa, but let me be at least generous there. Uh, any society that reintroduces race is a society on the path to self-destruction. We learn so much from you every time. Joel, what a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for taking the time today. Did you... What the fuck does that mean? Wow. Did you, so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So, we'll ignore the first answer. So, the first answer was South... So, he said, you reintroduce race as a, con as a concept, and then your country collapses. And he like wanted to give examples of societies on the verge of collapse, specifically because they re reintroduced race as a concept. And his first answer was apartheid South Africa. Then he pauses for a long stretch of time. And then he says, post-liberation Zimbabwe. So let's freeze there for a second. Does anyone know what, what pre-liberated Zimbabwe was? I Rhodesia? Think I know. Rhodesia. Yeah. Which, even at, during its time when it was a place, was not really accepted worldwide. <laughs> it was known as a very there, racist country. Yeah, there's a reason why it wasn't accepted widely. Yeah. And, I mean, like, we've, we've talked about this on the show. Like, one of the reasons we point to Kian Bext being a piece of shit who works at the Rebel is he worked at a store that sold Rhodesian flags, for example prior to working for the rebel. We do know that people like Dylan Roof, who went and shot up a church in Charleston, uh, killing many black people who were just uh, worshiping, has many pictures of him wearing the Rhodesian flag. Like this is a symbol of white nationalists and racist violence. And he's saying that, I mean, he's not outright saying that Rhodesia was fine, but he's saying the collapse of that area which is now called Zimbabwe, occurred post the liberation. So once the black people rose up and fought their, their white colonizers and took control of that country, they reintroduced race as a concept and now, now Zimbabwe is coming to a collapse. And that's why, like, to me, like, 
I mean, I know this stuff. So, like, immediately, I'm like, that's a fucking racist dog. That's not just a racist dog whistle. This is, like, him, oh, like, this is him signing up with the white nationalists being like, here's a clear example of a racist country that I'm saying got worse when it became not the racist country. And they want to pretend like they're not fascist, scummy, racist pieces of shit, which was the whole point of this thing. And so like, and so now we get into the, the next little like example there, right? Which, which was, he initially said apartheid South Africa. And I said post-liberation Zimbabwe. And then he goes, even, what did he say? It was something like even uh, post apartheid South Africa. So the, and he goes, he goes, but I'm being generous. So he believes it, but like, he's just like, for the sake of argument, you know, I'm not going to say post uh, apartheid South Africa. So it's like, in both cases, the two examples he gave are countries that were colonized, where their black populations rose up and overthrew their co colonizers and reestablished uh, governments that were more representative of the country's population. And those are the examples that he gives of countries that are collapsing because they reintroduced race as a concept. Hmm. Good going, Joel Pollock. I also want to say Joel Pollock is South African. That's where he comes from. Eesh. Yeah. That I didn't know. Now you know. And now now you know that Joel Pollock is a fucking racist. And any of this bullshit, they can come and sue me all they goddamn want to because it can't get much clearer than that. <laughs> That's pretty, you don't need them to say, I, Joel Pollock, am in fact a racist. You just endorse the idea that these white supremacist countries got worse when they became less white supremacist. Kind of telling. Yeah. So how do y'all feel? <laughs> well, <I need> shower. <laughs> knowledge is both a gift and a curse. That's my thought. <laughs> I think, like, part of me was like, I, I think it's important to go through this because it's... It's one of these things where these people get to dodge this accusation that they're racist all the time. And I think part of my going through their work is you have these moments here where if you just let them talk and ramble on, they're going to say the racist shit out loud eventually, you know? And so it's like part of it is like distilling that and making a note and going, look, these people are racist. They're, they're very terrible people. Uh, they've spawned hate groups, you know, the Proud Boys, right? Like, as earlier when he was talking about uh, this uh, in the week, was all like, the Proud Boys, they're not bad. They were just like a fraternity, you know? They're just this cool little clique that Gavin started. It's nothing bad, you know? They're led by a Cuban, so therefore, like, no white supremacy. It's all cool. Why Why you call me a racist even though I'm supporting apartheid? Oh, wait, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> How dare these people cheapen the term Nazi by calling me, the person who thinks that Rhodesia was cool, a white supremacist Nazi. Quit calling me a Nazi. I just like collecting Nazi paraphernalia and wearing it in public. I don't, well. No, no, <laughs> not for him, what like, probably, Yeah, probably. I've seen that type enough. Yeah, but that is uh, a type, yeah. Yeah, the sign of the cross is very fetching. Oh my God. So now that I, I subjected, so the only reason I mainly wanted to show this, I did, I did also want to, to this be in record, and I'm going to release this as a bonus podcast for anyone who wants to uh, torture themselves for two hours. 
and uh yeah it's a way to like sample normally the live thing i think so far they've been within the hour hour and a half limit this one stretched it to two hours it'll be ending shortly and uh normally we'll do a video clip so this one was a little less uh eye-catching <laughs> in that in that way so next time we'll have a video again so long as this doesn't happen it was just like Part of it was when we did the podcast, the Catherine McKenna story, we had to touch on it because it was equally terrible in its own ways for anyone who listened to the podcast. <laughs> and it was the fact that he focused yeah, on it so hard. So I didn't want to leave this hanging. And I feel like we rushed it when we initially recorded it. And so I think two hours gives it, gives it, <laughs> gives it its due. <laughs> We've covered it. You probably already knew he was a racist, but now you can go to bed knowing that he is, in fact, a racist. <laughs> they both are. <laughs> so, Mystery solved. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the most... We uh, did it, gang. It was like a Where's Waldo where there's no one else and just Waldo is sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> so the next is... Uh, ro- or, <laughs> so next is uh, Nuts per- Paraphernalia? Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Or at least a Rhodesian flag. Yeah, was, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. The T-shirts. <laughs> Joel fucking Pollock. When I started, that, that's the other thing. I'll end with this. Like when I started doing this, Joel Pollock was just some like boring dude. And like, of course, editor of Breitbart News. Like I knew there was gonna be something there. But it wasn't until like these last, uh, like two months, where it like was really becoming apparent. Because most everything else that he talks about, he normally comes on Ezra's show just to be like, here's what's happening in electoral electoral politics in the U.S. You know, yeah, there's a primary. Boring. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't really care. And then you have to hear his cell phone beeping the whole time. So it's, it usually just goes over like a blur. But there's been like two or three segments in the past two months where he comes on and just, it's like, it's starting to like seep out of him. The The racial animosity is starting to come out, so... So good fun. Stay safe, uh, America and Canada. And uh, wear a mask. Thanks for tuning in. I guess if you want to uh, join the voice chat portion, you can become a Patreon at the $10 level or above. That's uh, patreon.com slash imperial news. And I am now posting these over on YouTube. So eventually when this is done and rendered and all that fun stuff, I'll throw it up on YouTube so you can watch it there forever. And I think I'm going to end. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?